Okay, welcome to another great Promo Kitchen podcast, another great discussion. We plan on staying in the apparel lane again today with another epic guest. And as always, by my virtual side in Toronto, in the kitchen is Mark Graham, the OG of Promo Kitchen, a founding chef and a chief rabble rouser. Mark, what's going on, buddy? A lot is going on, and it saddens me that I am here virtually. Jay, one of these days, I would love to fly down to Arizona, hit a taco shop, and do this with you at your side. Uh, That would be awesome. That would be a dream come true. You know what? If we had a taco truck together, it would be like Nirvana, a Canadian, American, Arizona. Mm, I'm all over it. Let's do it. But listen, we're not here for that. So we're here because we have an amazing guest. We have Ryan Moore, the CEO and founder of Ryonet. Ryan oh my gosh, this took a while to happen. You're in another country right now, but we're so glad you're here. How are you? I'm doing great. I just had some tacos for breakfast, actually. They were delicious. Well done. Yes, tacos at any time. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. We're always down for some tacos. Ryan, thanks again. Seriously, as the founder of Ryanet, you are the man. You are the man in charge, but you're also doing a lot of other projects. We hope to have some time in the future to talk about some of those projects. But one thing we will talk about as the co-founder of AllMade in a little bit, you can tell us more about AllMade and the new developments there to the degree that you can. But what I thought we could do maybe in three minutes or less, two minutes or less, you know, the brief bio of Ryan Moore, Moore without an E, take us back to that spring of 1999 when Ryan Moore first printed a shirt. He was a screen printer with a little ink under his fingernails and probably worn down fingernails from jamming on the guitar because if I'm not mistaken... Weren't you kind of a band guy? Was there a connection there between music, bands, and screen printing? Yeah, I got into playing music in high school. It kind of waffled back and forth. I don't know if anyone plays the guitar, but it took me like three times to learn the guitar. And it wasn't until I discovered that you could drop the D and like just use one finger and then play any Green Day song ever made. And bam, I love it. (laughs) We were a band in high school, recorded an album kind of a pop punk band and our first show is coming up. So we needed t-shirts because bands have to have t-shirts at shows. That's what bands do. Of course. And my high school actually had a screen printing program. I had graduated from the screen printing program. My class was the last one to take the screen printing program. So fortunately, my school had a screen printing press. It was a Riley Hopkins press. And my teacher let me come, you know, after school one day and screen print some band shirts. I successfully did it, dried them in the oven and Ended up doing that, you know, after high school in my mom's garage and then in our apartment and kind of worked our way through about four years of touring and I think five albums. I never made a huge success, but enough to be completely broke and have some fun and learn a lot along the way. So screen printing was a part of the fuel to the fire of music. And it was cool because being in the DIY punk rock space, other bands would kind of see what we were doing, creating our own merch and really like got in, in interested like how do we do that and back then it was not easy this was in the early 2000s it was not easy to learn how to screen print there was a book that scott fresner had come out with called how to print shirts for fun and profit but there's no youtube there's no videos and so we started kind of teaching other bands through you know just physical events like warp tour to like private trainings on how to screen print their shirts and ended up selling stuff on ebay which eventually started Ryonet, which became screenprinting.com and now is the largest screen printing enablement. We call it powering the print in almost the world, I think, have helped start almost 200,000 screen printing shops over the last 15 years and just been amazing to be a part of that journey of 
seeing somebody create a business, an idea that go into a t-shirt and be worn by thousands of people out there, whether it's music or action sports or a brand or just an idea that somebody puts on Etsy and right. goes wildfire. So it's an awesome industry to be part of, very creative. I know you both know a lot of people that are in it. And I think it's really one of the fun parts that I love about both what you do in the promo industry. We're a small kind of other sector of the promo industry. And I kind of always looked at us as kind of like the outcasts, like punk rockers of promo. <laughs> but I think that you really create a new vibe and new energy in promo that hasn't been there before. And it's really fun to see that coming from a slightly different vibe and energy in the screen print market that obviously has such a big part of promo in it. Wow, that is so cool. But you know what? I can see how you think you're a bit of an outsider, a punk rocker, a promo. But the thing is, is that I think the last PPAI report calculated apparel being 40% of the promotional products industry. And apparel is nothing without decoration. And of course, decoration or screen printing is a huge part of the decorating conversation. So indirectly, Ryan, you are actually the man of promotional products (laughs) because without screen printers, there'd be a lot of sad looking apparel out there and probably a lot of distributors that wouldn't be able to sell too much to their clients. So I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. He's being humble. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's both sides and getting to know the promo industry a lot more is such a different side of the industry that has amazing sales channels and connections to so many different parts of life and business and community that the screen printing market doesn't have. So I think it's a great marriage. Agreed. Yeah, totally. I want to talk a little bit about marketing, Ryan. In your opinion, can you give me some examples of some folks that are doing marketing right? And on the other hand, who do you look for for inspiration when it comes to building brands and driving your marketing? It's changed a lot throughout the years, but I think, you know, influencer marketing now has become huge. And I kind of use the Tesla launch as an example, like the Tesla truck launch. Yeah. Tesla is one of the companies that I like, not necessarily in everything they do, but I'm a, a fan, I'm a customer. And, you know, I love them from kind of the innovation perspective, from the different business model perspective, from the environmental perspective, a lot of different reasons. And if you look at the truck launch, they got so much viral action by just creating a disaster out of that truck launch versus their own truck launch video. It was really cool to see the audience engagement of other people promoting that truck launch for them without them having to pay for it or anything. And then everyone knows about it. So I think it was just an effective thing in today's day and age. How do you partner with your customers or your influencers that are influential in your market to be able to tell a story for you or alongside you? Right. On a side note, do you think that that was orchestrated, done on purpose, or was it legit that it actually broke those windows? I definitely think it was orchestrated on purpose. They're a smart company, and they had people planted throughout that audience, and they invited them, they got given passes, and fed them food and drinks. So I think it was definitely planned, but effectively. Yeah, it's amazing. Eh? And I think that Tesla is an amazing example. I appreciate you giving it. If I were to put a section B, the famous Mark Graham section B uh, question, Jay, you love this. Yes. Would you be able to identify anyone in either the screen printing industry or the promotion products industry that is doing marketing really effectively? There's a group out of Utah and Southern California called Brand Aid. I actually met them at SKUCon last year, and I thought yep. they were screen printers. They were actually a bunch of you know Salt Lake City punk rockers, kind of like yeah. I was. We actually probably were at the same shows together. We're playing at the same shows together. And 
I just love their different take on brand development and promo products because it's very edgy. And I think they do a good job. Renya and her crew does a great job marketing in that space in a slightly different manner that's a little bit more edgy and fun for different types of companies. Yeah, great example. No, they've done an amazing job of using branding and marketing to project an image of themselves being much larger than they really are and a huge megaphone. And it's, uh, it's really fascinating to see what they've done. So great example. Hey, so what's interesting is that throughout this intro and the first question, and then again, the inspiration for marketing, one of the common denominators has been video. If you think about it, you know, Ryan, you were one of the first ones to break through and provide that type of training, provide that teaching moment, that inspiration that you, correct me if I'm wrong, did I hear you say it was 200,000 screen printers, companies, business startups that you believe have found their beginning through your business through Ryanette? Is that correct? Yeah, every few years, we kind of rerun the numbers because it grows exponentially every year. So it was well over 150,000 a couple of years ago. And I think approaching that couple hundred thousand range. That's awesome. And I'm not trying to tie you to a specific figure so much as to say, A, I'm impressed. Obviously, that's awesome. And B, the common denominator there, what maybe helped fuel that fire was that you and your company and Ryan specifically were willing to kind of take a leap of faith and jump into YouTube and video pretty early on. So. Tell us a little bit more about that process, about YouTube, then and now. Go back to, let's say, what was it, 2004, maybe, when you were kind of like lessons learned on YouTube, and then fast forward to today. Here we are, December of 2019. What have you seen? What have you been impressed by? And maybe I'll do a famous Mark Graham follow-up with question B. But for now, what's working? What did you get started on? And give us what you've learned along the way. I think what still works today is too instructional. That's how we started. There was a need to know how to screen print a shirt. There was a need for us to help our audience screen print shirts. And so we started doing videos that were very long and very boring and not high quality production. But we've all got on YouTube and learned how to fix the kitchen sink or the dishwasher or the lawn tractor or whatever it might be on exactly that style of video. And it was very, very effective and allowed us to start a platform of a much larger business from it. It's still our number one form of marketing. And the most fun, I think most engaging marketing that we continue to do, though it has changed quite a bit. What's changed? That's my B, my Mark Graham part B. What do you think's changed? Maybe more specifically just in the last year, 18 months, what are you seeing that's new and different and changing? Well, audience, their engagement timeframe has definitely shrunk, but at the same time, it hasn't. Like There's different forms of content that people will listen to an hour long of, And then there's different forms of content that they only want to hear in two or three minutes. So I think how-to content's gotten a lot shorter and needs to be much more concise. Whereas kind of the content that we're doing right now, that is more like storytelling content or reality content can actually be longer and last longer and have a lot less production value. So I think production value is needed and kind of having a game plan on what you're trying to teach is very important when it comes to teaching something now, whereas before it was not necessarily as needed versus you can kind of roll with it when you're just having a a conversation or kind of doing a a lifestyle vlog. Gotcha. So Ryan, can you take me back to those early days at Ryanette and tell me a, how your competition marketed itself at the time, and then how you applied innovative education and marketing tactics to gain market share, basically zigging while your competition was zagging. Yeah, we were coming into an industry that was very old school. And did a lot of traditional marketing, the trade shows, the catalogs, the sales reps visits, 
was pretty much how everything was sold and marketed in the screen printing supply and equipment industry and yeah. very much still is today. But there are some giant players in that space that have been, you know, in business for over a hundred years or fifty plus years and just coming on the scene, we had to do it completely differently and didn't really have a game plan, just kind of started an internet website and learned how to internet market. My goal was to get eyes or visibilities virtually. And so that started with SEO, you know, optimization and pay-per-click marketing. And then once YouTube popped up, I went to YouTube. And then once Facebook and Instagram kind of came up, went to kind of a social slash videos slash continued SEO and content driven strategy. Yeah. That has continued a lot us to not just stay relevant, but continue to grow. And then what's been surprising to see is it's been much easier to build websites now. The competition obviously has their own websites and everyone can order on their website, but we're still in that primary e-commerce number one position by even, if not stronger than we used to be because of that long tail value and knowledge that we've built up, but also content that we've built up over the last 15 years. Yeah. I think it's such a wonderful story and one that is very relatable to folks that are listening to this in that when there's a new emerging medium or channel that comes up, it's such a perfect time for a young company with nothing to lose to go in and just grab that new channel, like the bull with the horn, so to speak, because you will know it's almost 100% guaranteed that the legacy companies, the big guys that you're competing with, A, don't have the domain knowledge for this new channel. And B, even if they did, they would go, well, you know, trade shows are working really well for us. The banner ads are working well <laughs> for us, you know, in the industry publications. And their marketing people are going to be loath to change that because there's a big risk there. They move into this crazy world of YouTube. So as a result, they end up ignoring you until it's almost too late and you've now outgrown them. And sure, they'll jump into it now because it's dead easy to advertise on social media. It's dead easy to build websites, as you say, but they're playing catch up at this point. So I think it's such a wonderful lesson. You see it in the business of promotional products and outside the business of promotional products. Whenever there's some sort of new channel or a new media that arrives, it's watch out if you're the incumbent. And that's very exciting. So kudos to you. It's very inspirational. Yeah, a couple of points on that. I've been reading uh, Simon Sinek's new book called Infinite Game. And what he's talking about there is existential move. And it's a quote from Steve Jobs and Apple that says, you don't blow it up, someone else will. Yeah. So how do you keep that hedge as an incumbent company and, and don't yeah. be afraid to kind of tear down things and start again. And that's kind of how we're coming up to our next phase of like, how do we change our storytelling or change our video platform Yeah, and keep edgy, keep relevant and in a space that we were once very, very relevant, but every day is continuing to change. Right. In other words, there may be some new entrepreneur that, you know, the Ryan Moore of 20 years ago, that's rocking TikTok or something and is going to come up and eat your lunch. So you've got, to, you've got to make sure that, you know, you're keeping an eye on the new emerging trends. Wait, is that a thing? TikTok? It is. It is, Jay. <laughs> well, Ryan teach it to you. Ryan, you're going to have to bring me up. To I don't know what that is either. So don't, oh man. Okay. And what I was going to say is as the elder of the three of us, you know, it's all I can do to stay relevant. So yeah, Jay, you can Google it. I can Google it. Okay. Yeah. GTS, right? Isn't there an acronym for that? But the <laughs> thing I wanted to ask as a segue there was, Ryan, you have gone all in and you have been such a great leader in all video on any platform, but is there a new platform since you brought up this need to stay relevant, this need to not just be satisfied with your previous results, what new platforms 
might really have grabbed your attention? Are you guys doing anything that you can share with us and with the listeners today of how to reinvent, how to stay relevant? I think it's a combination of the way your content is shot and then putting it on the right platform. We don't have an actual pulse on, I would say, a brand new platform that's at least relevant in our industry or our space. My biggest one is still YouTube because it lives forever and it's SEO value. And as long as people look at Google for stuff, I think those YouTube videos are probably the number one channel. But then Facebook is probably, I would say, the easiest way to promote a video and market a video if you're making an ad or a video that you want to get in front of a lot of people quickly. I think it's a lot easier now on Facebook than YouTube. Instagram's probably the most interactive platform. So I love what they're doing with IGTV and the ability to now have that in your Instagram story feed. And then LinkedIn, we have probably our number one marketing success this year is especially for going up market in some of the equipment that we're selling is LinkedIn because it's very easy to target professionals and get your video ads shown to them. And it's very effective. So kind of a multi-platform approach integrating video into email. We use a platform called BombBomb and it's kind of a targeted email platform where it allows us to embed a up to a minute video into an email and the engagement rates on those emails, just like you have an engagement rank on a homepage of a website that has a video on it or a product page right. is much longer and much higher. We'll turn an open rate of 23% to an open rate of over 60% just by having a video in it. Wow. That's huge. What a difference. Amazing. Yeah. And we use it a lot in our team. Like, so we'll do team updates with video and kind of using our Slack channel and do a lot more video on Slack versus text updates because people can watch it on the go and they also get your personality and what you're going through at that moment in time. So it's a different medium that I just think is continuing to be powerful. Well, I appreciate that. That's really cool insight info and love how you describe that. So I want to transition, Mark, if I can, to this next question. We actually had a really good, it seems to happen where we have a great conversation before we actually start recording. And one of the things we were talking about was the fact that there is this sometimes very awesome and healthy relationship, but sometimes kind of awkward relationship between apparel decorators and traditional promotional product, what I guess they call themselves distributors, but a promotional product marketing agency, somebody that's selling the hard goods and apparel versus somebody that's decorating them. And in previous discussions, Ryan, I'll bring you up to speed. We've kind of identified this maker versus marketer mentality. So I'd love to get your take on that relationship, the relationship between apparel decorators and the maker mentality and the relationship with promotional products and the marketing relationship. What do you think on that? What's your take? I think it can work either way where you have them separated or you can have them integrated. So I know on both sides, promotional products companies that have integrated the screen printing side and are doing very, very well. And I know screen printing companies that are acting in a lot of different aspects as branding agencies or promotional products companies. What I think is the biggest success factor in all of it is the ability to basically offer an easy you know, package solution for a customer base. Oh, and also there's, of course, very effective companies that still outsource to decoration and have multiple decorating sources. So I think there's kind of that three-tier platform approach of like, any of this could work, but I think that the thing is, is like, how are you giving something different to your customer? And from that, are you using the canned website? Or are you building a custom website? You know, are you using the canned photography or doing custom photography? Are you using, you know, basic clip art or you have designers 
either in contract or on staff to be able to give your client something unique? And are you pitching them on new ideas or are you just letting them go pick out from the series of 100 different thousand promotional products to be able to market your company? No, you have to be able to position a strategy to your clients that is not just a product strategy, but it's a full marketing strategy. And I think the companies that are doing that effectively are really winning and differentiating and will continue to win. Excellent. Love that answer. The PK Podcast will return right after this short break. This podcast has been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, Ogeo, District, District Made, and Sporttech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. We are so grateful for the support from our community partners. Now back to the program. I want to go and visit an article that you've written on your blog. You do a great job blogging, great job with content, so shout out to that. Stay Hungry, Stay Foolish is the title of one of your blog posts. Can you tell us what you mean by that? It's not a Steve Jobs quote, but it comes from one of his talks that is similar to what we talked about before. Is like, if you don't burn it down or tear it down, somebody else will. And so I think the ability for somebody to continue to push and drive is an interesting thing that's absolutely needed in business and in life. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that seems rather foolish because why would you put something at risk that is so successful or so proven? And so being foolish is, in essence, I think from one person's perspective, but I think in another perspective, it's very smart. It keeps you also hungry. And hunger, I think, is the key to success. So if you are laying it out on the line, you're going to be more hungry than if you are sitting back and don't need to work as hard or don't have as much to risk. So it's a yin and yang that flows very nicely together if worked right. And at the end of the day, none of it's up to us. There's so many different factors in play that will determine, you know, what happens next. And we can all continue to reinvent and remake ourselves, even if it all comes down again. So you just continue to learn and grow in that aspect. So stay hungry, stay foolish. It's always kind of summed that up to me. There's a great book that was written a while ago called The Innovator's Dilemma. Have you guys read it or heard of it before? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. No. Yeah, I read it a while ago, but it's been a little bit. Yeah, it was published some time ago, but Ryan, I think there's parts of it that remind me of this book. And for those folks that have not heard of it or haven't read the book, it's basically talking about how innovative companies run into these dilemmas as they grow and they get big because what made them successful is now the very thing that can also threaten their ability to innovate because they get comfortable, they're used to investing in certain channels that are going to deliver a certain ROI. And when it comes to innovating or disrupting their business model, they've got investors that say, well, hang on a second here, that's going to impact profits, that's going to impact your ability to grow and sustain your market leadership. And then that's exactly the opportunity that a young, you know, Ryan Moore needs to go in and just go and innovate. And I think that You look at companies like Apple that are clearly massive, massive companies, but they've been so good at being able to combine 
this innovative spirit with milking the franchise, so to speak, and having the two of them really be in balance, like answering to investors, but at the same time, keeping this growth mentality. And I think we can learn a lot about that, you know, even though we may be a little bit smaller than Apple. <laughs> I mean, with the exception of Jay. No, 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 no. Oh, he's, please. He's a big guy here. Please, please, please. Big guy because I need more athletic time. I need more visiting of the treadmill, maybe, but otherwise. Well, you know what? That'll actually be a good transition. Maybe not quite just yet, but yes. we're going to talk in yes. just a couple of moments about an athletic endeavor that Ryan is going to be heading up. Do not let us forget about that, Ryan. But listen, I do want to build on this for just a second because the thing that came to mind when Ryan was talking about stay hungry and stay foolish was I was, of course, not sure. I've read part of the blog and I was the one that asked that question, although Mark, you handled it way better than I did. But I came to this conclusion a while ago that oftentimes when I'm dealing with stuff like this, and this reminded me of the book E-Myth Revisited, which is the problem isn't my business, the problem's me. And I'm not willing to change. I'm the one that's stuck. I'm the one that's, you know, fearful or whatever. And that's that foolish part. That's what I took away from it. So I was really excited to hear what you had to say, Ryan. And I was reminded of it from that perspective of, you know, have fresh eyes, stay young, stay foolish, take that dare, you know, take more risk. So I'm not sure, but that's what came to my mind. Yeah. And I think you have to make sure it's part of your culture too, because it makes people uncomfortable. When we started All Made three years ago, we had a lot of people exit the company because they did not believe that it was the right thing for our company to do. Why would we get into you know t-shirts when there's so many big players and with so many more resources and Ryan's crazy and he's going to shut the company out of business in, in a matter of a couple of years. And they were almost right, but we're still going. <laughs> almost, almost right. But ultimately they were wrong. And honestly, that's the perfect segue. I was going to ask you, tell us more about Allmade. Bring us up to speed for those who maybe still don't know, which I find shocking. Tell us what that is. What do you mean all made? What do you mean Ryan's crazy and he started a t-shirt company? What? Being on the screen print side, seeing so many shirts go on our presses and being printed with inks and you know screens that we help supply to the industry. It's always been, obviously a better shirt makes a better print, a better print lasts longer. And the person that ends up wearing it is worn happier. Pairing a good print with a great t-shirt has always been kind of one of our missions. But the resources to do that has been overwhelming to get into that game. And it wasn't until we actually found a just cause. One of our customers was a nonprofit and they came to us having a social mission of job creation and actual orphan prevention. Part of that screen printing in Kansas City and they use rock machines and then they create jobs for either homeless or coming out of the criminal justice system. But another part of it is, this is the Global Orphan Project I'm speaking of. And they started out with orphan care, but realizing that 80% of orphans that they were caring for were economic meaning that they have family members that could take care of them. And by having this orphanage that is simply there to, to care for orphans, it was actually enabling families to break up. So they changed their mission from orphan care to, to orphan prevention or job creation because if there's a good job, a good economy, that family stays together and that family, not only just the family, but the community, the environment around it thrive. And seeing that three years ago in Haiti, real time, was just an eye-opening experience and really inspired me to find people. And we ended up finding 12 founding customers that helped us start this from the ground up, traveled to Haiti with us, and became our first customers that then grew. But it was not easy to do, and we've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but we're still growing, and we're still learning, and we're still expanding. This year has been great, getting into the promotional product space. And being able to connect a lot more with like-minded companies, but in the promo industry. And we're very fortunate to be aligned with some really great ones and have 
been able to supply some amazing programs into Facebook and Google and just really cool brands that now align with an environmental story and a better human story, as well as a better quality product that, you know, at the end of the day, that 40% of apparel that promo companies sell, if you sell your customer a better quality product, it's going to get thousands of times more views. So rather than going with the cheapest, lowest cost, illest fitting shirt out there, selling a good shirt with a good story with a good print is a win-win scenario. Excellent. Love that. Ryan, I had a question for you. We're going to shoehorn this in. I've often thought about t-shirts and the different prices that are charged for t-shirts. And some people will say that a premium price point shirt like All Made is really only going to work with higher end companies, companies like Facebook and Google, some of the folks you just mentioned, because they've got the big ad budgets. But for the typical promotional buyer that has got a tight budget that is valuing price, something like an all made or a next level or just any of these higher priced shirts are just never going to be a reality for that buyer that wants to maximize the number of impressions. Do you agree with that comment? Or would you challenge that and say that a brand like Allmade or some of your peers is actually a product that should be sold into any buyer regardless of their budget? What's the goal, right? You said it maximize the number of impressions and how many impressions does that get if it gets donated to Goodwill or thrown away, you know? Yeah. If I was in that buyer's shoes, I would pitch to sell half the shirts at twice the price. Yeah. So if it's a race, instead of giving 1,500 people a shirt, the first 750 people to show up get a premium shirt and it creates a sense of urgency. And guess what? That shirt's going to be worn longer and appreciated much more by the runners that run in it who are going to be more diehard runners because they're their first two versus somebody who's going to, ah, here's another extra shirt that I don't even like and now I'm throwing it away. The runner throws it away and the person that got there at the end throws it away and no one ever sees the sponsors or no one ever sees the reason that race was run in the first place. So less is more and better is better and better is going to get worn more. So you said it exactly. More impressions, yeah, get a better quality product and there'll be more impressions guaranteed. I love it. I mean, what a great way of putting it. And I think that it's an inspiring message because what sometimes you'll hear in the promotional products industry is that product is a brand or that product is a premium product and it's only for the fancy customers or it's only for the people that can afford to pay for this kind of stuff. But I'm Joe's Plumbing, just making that up, but I'm Joe's Plumbing. I just need some shirts for my guys and I don't have the budget that Facebook has. And I think that the best distributors in this business, the ones that are on the front lines of selling this in the promotion products industry, are the ones who are able to tell that story, maximizing impressions, maximizing the shirts that are going to be valued and kept. And to be quite honest, that's a harder sale. It's easier to say, sure, you need 100 cheap shirts. I'm your guy. (laughs) The good news is that it represents so much opportunity for additional education and additional margin and additional growth in this particular category. But I mean, it's a bit of an uphill battle sometimes. I'm I'm sure you see it where you have people who challenge you on the cost of these shirts. And I think it's time to shift the conversation. Definitely. And I think those who are getting more educated actually ask that question a whole lot less than we used to even two years ago. And so it's, it's amazing to see that really kind of take hold in the space at many different levels. And it's taking hold because it freaking works. And even Joe's plumbing, those guys, you're going to buy five shirts a year or you're going to buy them four shirts a year. And if you're going to spend a dollar more, it's still cheaper to buy four shirts a year that last longer than five shirts that they don't like and will wear out. 
Yeah, exactly. I should have said Jay's plumbing, but uh, came up wrong. <laughs> um, hey. on that note, Jay, uh, would you like to ask another question? Well, I think, you know, Ryan, maybe you could just give us another minute and we're running up against some time here. So we've got one more special announcement that Ryan's going to help us remember. But before we get to that, nice tease, right, Mark? It was good. No, I don't own a plumbing company, but with six kids, I should have invested in one a long time ago, especially <laughs> with four daughters. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. so that's the stay foolish part. But Ryan, talk to me a little bit about the, the story, the story of the sustainability, the story of the environment, and how has that propelled the all-made difference? Is that a differentiator or is that just something cute, catchy and window dressing and, oh, there's more marketing spin. Woohoo. I'm green now. What's your take on that? Well, sustainable apparel manufacturing is definitely not new. And I think that when we went to go and decide to build a shirt that had a better story behind it, we wanted to make a better print. We wanted to last longer. We wanted to give a better job to somebody. When we went to the materials that it was made from, we wanted to have a better material that had a better impact or a less of an impact on the environment. And it was actually rather hard, like going through the supply chain saying like, hey, can you give us recycle? Well, it's kind of hard to do. You know, it's going to be more expensive and harder to source. You know, what's better than rayon? Or can we go with an organic cotton that's from the US versus like, you know, and we always try to get steered away from that. And it's definitely the harder thing to do. It's not as easy. But we chose that route and it's become core to what we do and very important. And fortunately, a lot of other people are taking that stance as well, because honestly, we just don't have a choice. Apparel and fashion being the second most wasteful industry on the environment, we have to make changes. And if we don't, we are seriously messing it up for ourselves and especially the future generations to come. So it will become commonplace and we hope it becomes commonplace and we want to continue to push the boundary there and help to research and influence other people to do the same thing. Excellent answer. Well, congratulations. Thank you for sharing that. Fantastic. Now, there have been two or three times while we've been on this podcast today where references to either my weight or my size or the fact that I have probably eaten more tacos than I should have, maybe there's some future solution for me. Maybe there's something down the road where I could be a little bit more, I don't know, engaged and active you know, something maybe coinciding with uh, the PPAI Expo. I don't know. What do you think, guys? Possibly? Maybe? Yeah. I mean, there's there's an actual event on Monday yeah. morning. Um, it's, it's a fun Hold on. Run. I can't stop uh, It's like a three-second delay, and then running goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Mark, you've got to edit that and do a better job than that transition for sure. Not because of me. The setup was terrible. So Ryan, that was my fault. I I think we are totally keeping this in. It's got to stay in. It's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. 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 Anyway, let's get back to the answer. So (laughs) maybe Mark, you should ask. Okay. So Jay, Jay, at at a trade show in 2009, I remember this vividly, January 2009, I was having kids and I was becoming a new dad. Somebody hands me a running shirt as a gift. And I look at them like they're crazy. And I say, what the hell am I going to do with this? There's no chance in hell I'm running. You know, I haven't ran since high school. And I put that shirt on and I have not run a day in in my life the last 10 years. So with that said, we were doing it. So it was actually at a trade show. So I had to trade show at the expo. We're doing a fund run that sponsors every 
entry gets a couple of free shirts and also sponsors at 100% of the entry fee goes to the PBAI disaster relief fund. And if we've all seen what's in the news from fires to hurricanes and everything like that, there are plenty of great purposes that that fund can go towards. So we're super excited to work with them and raise a considerable amount of money. Uh, Our goal is to raise over $10,000 for that fund to be able to have the promo companies continue and industry continue to do good in the world, which I think is a part of being in business. So how does that work? Will we have a website that we'll add in the show notes or how do we get involved? It's on the page, the disaster relief page. You can go in, you can pick a team to sponsor, become a part of, you can start your own team. It's $25 to enter, or you can obviously donate more. You don't have to run if you don't want to, but we'd love as many people to be involved as possible and raise as much money as possible. Every entry does get a shirt. You can come by our all-made booth at the expo in the new product pavilion and get a couple of shirts, but it also does so much more. And the winner gets some really cool flashlights that are also sponsoring it too. So there'll be a link that has all the details in it and can also follow that up with any other information that you guys need. That's awesome. So Mark, don't you think we should get a promo kitchen team together? I think we we should and we will. And I think you need to lead us, Jay. Listen, I will be there. I commit. I am ready for this change. So I may walk it, but I'm going and I'm going to be there. So that's my commitment. It is meant to be kind of more of a community building activity. So there's no chips or anything like that. I think it's slightly over a mile. So it's not anything crazy. If I know Mark Graham the way I think I know Mark Graham, Ryan, it's going to be a race between you two. That's what's going to happen. So I've got two competitive guys who like to run. And if Tom Brown was anywhere near there, there'd be three guys that couldn't wait to run. So thank goodness you guys can have those lanes. There you go. I'll let you have that race. I'm going to gladly be a community builder (laughs) and I will be walking with the rest of the folks. It's not fair because Ryan's hair is so aerodynamic. I think it would probably like lift him a little bit while he runs and I don't have as much. So, you know, I'd be slowed down a little bit. I don't know. Aerodynamic, Mark. Just buzz it off. (laughs) It's awesome. And I think it's such a great example of how this industry really looks after itself and gets people out in a great community organized way. And if there's an athletic endeavor where we're promoting good health, then that's even better. So good on you, Ryan, for taking charge of this. And we really hope that the PK community will be out in droves. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you for talking about it and being a part of it. Awesome. Well, that wraps us up, gentlemen. Anything else? Any last minute words of advice? Are we done? I don't think we're ever done, but I think we are done for today. How about that? (laughs) Perfect. Well said. Well said, (laughs) oh, wise one. Good stuff. Thank you very much for having me on and looking forward to seeing you both at SKUCon and then Expo and then probably after that as well. So looking forward to a great 2020. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it's before Christmas now. So Merry Christmas to both of you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. Safe travels, Ryan, and have a wonderful holiday season and Happy New Year. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.